0: Good morning, church. It is a privilege to be able to worship with you this morning. This morning, uh, I decided we should get the kids involved and have them join in with the fun. So they're going to be praising Jesus with us this morning. So here we go, King of Me. My God's the King of the... My God's the king of the lions My God's the king of the creatures of the deep My God's the king of me Have you heard the story about my friend King Dave? Wouldn't let the giant stand in his way He said, hand me my sling cause he's not that tall My God is bigger and I'll watch him fall my God's the king of the giants. My God's the, of the My God's the king of the lions. My God's the king of the creatures of the deep. My God's the king of me. Have you heard the one about this guy called Dan? Yes, he was a mighty, holy, praying man. He said, throw to the den of the scary beast. My God saved our hero from the lion's teeth. My God's the king of the giants My God's the king of the lions My God's the king of the the creatures of the deep My God's the king of me This is more than history He will do the same for me Jonah and the whale I see when I'm lost in the braid, all alone in the dark. You're with me. Oh, you're with me. Yeah, my God's the king of the giants. My God's the king of the lions. My God's the king of the creatures of the deep. My God's the king of me. My God's the king of the giants. My God's the king of the lions. My God's the king of the creatures of the deep. My God's the king of me. My God's the king of me. Yeah. Hi,
1: everybody. Welcome to our Sunday worship service this week. Uh, I'm going to be doing the announcements and the greeting. We appreciate and thank you all for coming and and, uh, joining in with us. Today, for the announcements, we still want to remind everybody of the connection card. But we're doing that again through the encouragement team, and we're finding out more and more and more people are really enjoy getting contacted every week. But part of that contact is for you to share prayer requests. The prayer meeting still happens on Tuesdays, and people are still praying for you. So, if you have prayer requests, share it with your encouragement team, or send an email to Sue or uh, anything along those lines, and we'll get it on that prayer list. And of course, if it's an emergency or a prayer that needs to be now, we would love to do it for you and that also will get shared out. Um, uh, The encouragement team, to continue with that phrase, is trying to contact everybody every week. And if you would like to be a part of that team, contact Sue, she would love to know. As far as the pastor search team, last week I announced that we had five resumes already. Well, I'm announcing that we have 39 resumes that we're going through. The meeting is actually going on right now, and uh, I'll be going back to it, but we've got 39 resumes already, and we still haven't hit the uh, May 15th deadline. At May 15th, we're going to kind of stop taking resumes and start looking for those top three to five candidates to uh, process. Uh, and we're already doing that. We're reading the resumes. I read all 39 of them so far. And uh, some of the team members have already started listening to the uh, sermons that people uh, sent to us as samples of their skills at teaching or uh, giving a sermon. So that's pretty cool. <clears throat> and it's exciting to have that many resumes. Um, another thing, Pastor Steve Ignash wanted me to share. Was they're doing? What they're trying to put together right now is a re-entry team. We are anticipating getting back together as a church, and what all is that going to take? And are what are we going to have to do anything special uh, right now? As he was putting it, uh, might be a really good time to have a. Uh, Uh, parent date night where we take care of the kids because right now parents aren't getting away from their kids too much. And so that would be a great opportunity for ministry. So he's putting together that team. They're calling it the re-entry team. And we're praying that it's not too long that the whole church is able to get back together and worship together in person. Uh, But what that's going to look like in the future, we don't know. So be thinking about that and be praying about that. because that that'll be a great thing. And finally, tonight, we want to work on offering. We uh, still have to support this church financially and keep that moving forward. And you can either drop any money off that you want to donate to uh, Sue at the office and or you can uh, get on the Alliance Church website and donate that way. But uh, let's pray for that. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that through this technology we can... Uh, continue to meet. We know, Lord, that it's not face-to-face, and, and and a lot of us really miss that time, the time that we spend singing worship together with uh, Dave Rossing and the, the group, the time we spend uh, just being together and listening and sharing your word and hearing that encouragement and your Bible reading. We pray for that. Lord, we thank you that... Uh, You've given us all so much, and we pray that if there's anybody in the church that uh, this COVID thing has caused issues, that they're willing to let us know to, that the rest of the church can help, whether it's maybe financially or food or uh, uh, maybe trips to the doctor or something like that. Let them, let them know that we care and we want to help. Lord, we thank you that we can give back to this church. We thank you for Terry doing the message today, for Dan Barron doing the reading. We pray, Lord, that those all uh, bring glory and honor to you. And Lord, we just want everybody to know that we care and that uh, you, our God, care even more. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Today our reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the whole chapter. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some, letters of commendation to or from you? You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it? For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech, And are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit.
3: Well, I'm glad to be here with you again. I want to encourage you. In your process, you've invited me to come to your transitional phase for, I don't know, a few times. I appreciate every time I've got to be here. I thought you might appreciate a scripture from the Bible relevant to our current situation. Did you think there would be a social distancing scripture in the Bible? Well, read it. Second Corinthians chapter 3 talks about Moses having to cover his face because the people didn't want to have what he had. Well, what did he have? I want to take some time and look at this passage. What Moses had done is come down from the mountain after talking to God and his face was shining and the people said, please cover up. What was going on there? And I, I want to talk to you about this in the context of where we're in now, but also in the context of what Alliance Bible Church has been doing over the last year, and that's making a step forward into What's going to be your new normal? You already had a challenge, you, and then COVID made it even more challenging, as our distancing makes it more difficult. But I'm finding something, and I, as I watch the news and I watch people, in the midst of this crisis, there are two motivators that I want to talk about today. Fear is one of the motivators. You see it on the signs. Stay home. Save lives. And there's always, you know, daily news updates about how many people have contracted the virus, how bad it is, and the facts come out and we're told, you know, be distant, be careful, save lives. And yet, there's also another kind of motivator that's happening, and that's the motivator of people saying, we're in this together. And as we stay home with family, you hear stories about how, at first, it was a, a trial, maybe wondering how we get along, and now there's some good things happening. People saying, I really enjoy this with my family. I'm, I'm having good times with my kids. We're having better family time. There. There's, there's more love, more relationships are being built that way. And I appreciate both of those motivators are out there, but there's a tension between them. The scripture that we were reading today, there's a tension between. The kinds of things that God is doing, which are love demonstrated. He wants to show people his love. And at the same time, the people are responding to that demonstration of love with fear, saying, this is making us uncomfortable. Cover up, Moses, because this is not okay. This is not safe. So today I'd like to go through, not necessarily telling you what's right and wrong, in our actions, but talk to you about the motivator for our actions. Have you noticed how you're motivated during this period? Wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, going out somewhere, being around other people. You could be motivated by fear, and your action would be covering up, staying isolated to see if anything could be dangerous for you. Or you could be motivated by love. In which case, you would wear a mask, you would separate from people, the action could be very much the same, and yet, your heart would be motivated differently. And I believe this is really important, not only in today's health crisis, but in life and in church specifically. So let's jump off from this story and talk about the two motivators. Fear and love. They're not the only motivators in our lives, but they're two big ones. And as I, as I look at these, I want you to just follow with me through scriptures. I'm going to mention things that are, that are pretty familiar to you. So I'm not going to read the scriptures, but I'm going to refer to them. And So have your Bible open, and since it's a video, you can stop and check and see if I'm telling you what's what is true or not. But let's just go to that story of Moses. Back in the Sinai story, we should probably back up a little bit just to see where the context of this is. Back when uh, God spoke to Abraham, he gave a promise to Abraham. He said, I will bless the entire world. At the time he was telling Abraham this, he was saying, before all that happens, your people will go into slavery. And then I will deliver them. This was already God's plan, God's purpose. Moses came into the story when he was 80 years old. We need to take note of that. Those of us that are older, knowing that at 80 years old, God asked Moses to transition into something he'd never done before in his life. Burning bush. Remember that story? Exodus chapter 2. And so Moses comes, sees the burning bush, and it says there he was afraid to look at the face of God. He heard the voice coming out of the bush and he was afraid to motivating him. But did he come? Yes, he did. He overcame. And he came to the bush and listened to what God had to say. The Lord said, I'm going to deliver the people. I care about them. I've heard their cries. And I want you to go and tell them that I will deliver them. As he went, told the people, God's going to deliver you. Their response was listening to God's words of love, responding with, he cares about us. If you look at that in Exodus chapter 4, it is. He says to them, God has heard your cry. He is going to come rescue you. And scripture says, when they heard that God cared, they all bowed down to worship. They align themselves with God's purpose in that case. I, I just noticed that sometimes when we're motivated by fear, it aligns us with God. It's not always a bad thing. Fear can sometimes motivate us and we're right on track with where we should be. In this case, that was what was happening. Let's forward a little bit in the story and uh, things didn't go so well. Pharaoh said, you people are. You just need some more work. And so he gave them more work. You have to get your own straw. You have to find your own way to make the bricks and keep up the quota. And then Moses comes to them again with an inspiring speech, just building on what he'd said before. God wants to deliver you. He wants to set you free from slavery. And He will do it. And the people said, we heard that one before. And the Scripture Quotes them saying, We're discouraged. We just can't do this. I have to get up tomorrow. You could hear them saying this. I have to get up tomorrow and get my own straw to make bricks. God's not helping me out here. And in this case, their motivator was slavery, again, fear, and it was drawing them away from what God was saying. Now, God is faithful. He maintained his purpose, and they came to Mount Sinai. God had been faithful. You know the story. He delivered them. Yes, he did. Took them across the Red Sea to Mount Sinai, and there again he announces his purpose. He says, Moses, I'm going to come down and speak to these people. They will hear my voice, and I will tell them. They're my treasure, my special people. I'm going to make them precious to me, and a nation of priests, and they will serve me. Good plan. Exciting news. And the people gathered at the mountain, and God came, and the mountain shook, and the fire came, and it billowed, and everyone heard the voice of God. And they were terrified. They were so afraid. Moses said he was afraid as well. But listen to the difference in the way they narrate what happened to them. Moses said, this is Deuteronomy chapter 5, to the next generation. So Moses is 120 by this time. 40 years later, telling the next generation of this is what happened to us. We were so afraid at that mountain when God spoke to us. And I said, it is good that you're afraid because that will keep you from sinning. That will with God's purpose, but you said we're so afraid. We've seen that God can speak to people, and we live. We didn't. And now something happens, and things go off the rails. If you read in Deuteronomy five, the people say, "But if God speaks to us again, we will die." I'm not sure how that logic came to be but that's what they said and, and they said don't let that happen anymore you go listen to God and you can come and tell us what he says but for us I think we'll stay right here I just want to make a comment about that as, as I've looked at ministry and what happens in church uh, I've also been in the mission field what happens in missionary work too um, this is a kind of encounter that uh, we say we really would embrace. Wouldn't it be great if God spoke to us? If we heard God's voice? Boy, that would really be something. And that would make all the difference in the world. I think it would be a miracle and people would, would get on board and, and there'd be no more trouble. We'd just move on. In God's purpose. And yet, what happens to us today, it kind of same thing that happened to these people. When God really does show up in, in a way that touches us in a deeply personal and real, powerful way, we deal with it sometimes like these people did and say, "Well, that was pretty intense. I don't know if I want to do that again. I want to talk about what happened with the people then and how it happens to us because when they refused to listen anymore on that basis they sent Moses away and said we don't want to listen anymore they still had the dilemma they had come to the mountain to worship and they had a program they were going to worship unfortunately what happened was they worshipped a creation like the golden calf they worshipped like they used to see in Egypt. They did what they used to do. And then when they were confronted with it, they said, oh yeah, that was wrong. That was wrong. But, put a veil on it. That's what they told Moses. And that comes back to our story. They said, okay, but still, we don't want to go up to God. That's too scary for us. So, Moses, let's just make this arrangement. You put a veil, cover your face, And we'll listen to what you say, but that's about as much as we want. If I I can quote to you from the New Testament, what ended up happening is they developed a form of godliness, a kind of religion and a form, but denied the power of it. Paul condemns that kind of religion in the New Testament. He says this is what's happened with the, the, the people that, say they want to worship God, but inside their hearts are still far from Him and there's a veil between. And, and as he explained in Corinthians, he said only when someone comes to Christ is that veil removed. And then we all, with unveiled faces, we don't have protective gear on anymore, but we reflect the glory of God. There's there's no barriers. There's nothing between. Now, a lot of people, when Given this opportunity, we'll embrace it for the first time. Say, this is great. This is wonderful. And then evaluate it again and say, but we don't think we want this to happen again. And honestly, I've seen this in church. I've seen this in ministry. Uh, A young lady, I remember having a wonderful touch from God. The ladies had gathered around her to pray. She She had a deeply moving experience, acknowledged that God had really spoken to her heart. And a step in the right direction. She was encouraged and moving on. Some healing had happened in her heart. And uh, I watched as she continued her life. And uh, I just just waited. And I thought, you know, she'll come back around. And the ladies can minister some more. And, and uh, she'd come sporadically. Sometimes and then sometimes not. And, and finally I decided I'd just, I'd just ask her. I mean, we were good friends. And she trusted me. And I said, well... You know, that was a really powerful thing that happened to you there. Um, I think God would want to revisit that sometime and, and move on, take you a little further. And she said, yeah, Pastor, I know. I know, but my life has got to stay on track. And I have responsibilities in my business and towards, you know, the homeowners association that I run and everything. And if I... Let myself do that. My emotions will take the cost and I, I, I just don't think I, I can afford that right now. That's one example. I don't think it's a rare thing. I think it's all too common that we feel the fire of God or we, we hear His voice in some way or we, we sense the trembling of our mountain that we're near Him and we say, that can't, continuing on I mean it may be good once in a while but it can't just be the way we live can it and and I think God is wondering why not because that's what God is like so 2nd Timothy has a, has a scripture that says God has not given us a spirit of fear 2nd Timothy 1 7 but of love and of power and of a sound mind. These are motivators of a different nature. When when we look at how Jesus wanted to motivate his disciples, he didn't didn't heavy hand anything with them, did he? He didn't force them to do things. As as he described this uh, this once with uh, Nicodemus, talking to Nicodemus, John chapter 3, And we know the scripture. God so loved this world that he sent his only son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God's love poured out. God's message of love poured out. So that none would perish. Overcoming the fear. But Jesus' discussion after that kind of helps us understand the human nature that's happening here. God did not send his son to condemn the world goes on to say, but that the world through him would be saved. But this is the condemnation, Jesus said. The light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their actions are evil. And they do not come to the light lest their actions be shown for what they are. So there's a dilemma here in motivation. God loves us, but Our love, that's in question right there. Because fear motivates us not to come to God. I think all of us have experienced that at some point. What i would mentioned before, even when God has done something wonderful, it might be that we're a little bit fearful to do it again. That was too emotional, or was it a little bit too intense, or too something that we don't want to have happen again. Later on in uh, the ministry with the disciples, Jesus talked to them in this passage when he was just about to leave and go to be with the Father. You know the passage, go to prepare a place for you, John 14. I am the way, the truth, and no one will come to the Father except through me. And as as he encouraged the disciples, you obey me, obey my commandments. He said, you love me, you will obey my commandments. I look at that as a motivational message. It's not a conditional thing like, you love me, so therefore obey. It's not like bringing it down heavy on them. He's actually stating a a fact. Love motivates obedience. Actions come out of being loved and they come out of loving. Well, one of the disciples had this idea that uh, often we have and he said... uh, Well, Jesus, show yourself to the world. They'll believe. Maybe that's a bit naive. Probably is. But I think sometimes I would like that. Why doesn't Jesus just show himself? If he did the work he did back when he was on earth, of course people would believe. Wouldn't they? And we have to honestly say, well, no. Because miracles, raising from the dead, fantastic things, somehow don't convince human beings to believe. Jesus answered that question by saying this, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. But the world does not love me. that would say, so I'll just scare them to death and they'll believe. Well, that's what totalitarian governments are all about, right? That's what power people do. If you're not going to obey me because you love me, you will obey me because you fear me. I think we've all experienced some of that, or at least seen it in our world, and how governments and power people sometimes want to play that game. I want to just have you think about how fear has motivated us in our lives. I find this helpful during a time like this because fear is motivating people. And I have to stop and ask, well, how much is it motivating me? And do I want that? So I just want to review with you quickly four fear factors and then contrast the love that would be uh, responding to those fear factors. Okay? You know the story of Adam and Eve, right? Right? And uh, when they were afraid for the first time in their lives, this is what they said. Adam, where are you? He hears the voice of God calling. Loving God, the one that they have walked together in the garden. They'd been in fellowship and this God is coming. Adam, where are you? And Adam is hiding. He says to God, I heard your voice, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. There's the voice of fear, right? I was vulnerable, I was naked, and I hid. I've done that, okay? I mean, not physically been naked and hid, I've just been, I say I had that attitude. I'm, I'm, I am vulnerable. I cannot be here. I have to hide. I have to be covered up. So many people respond that way. Fear. We put on a mask. Well, that was the whole idea with Moses. Put on a veil, Moses. Cover yourself. Because this is too vulnerable for us. When Abraham was told, you're going to have a son? And through your son and, and, and all of your, uh, what is it? Not ancestors, heritage. All your lineage will lead to blessing the world. And Abraham says, a son. I'm 90 years old. My wife is past childbearing. This isn't natural, what you're telling me. And Sarah laughed. That's, that's the story. When she heard, this story that God was telling, loving God is saying, you're going to have a son and through him all the world will be blessed. Like sand on the seashore, your people. And she laughed. That's another kind of fear. It, it isn't like he was afraid. He was just saying, that's impossible. And I think we respond that way often. We hear the things that God has destined for us. We, we think about what the Bible says and the promises that are there, and we say, well, that's just impossible. And then the one we, we just looked at, Moses saying, I was shaking with fear, and yet I knew that this is what I needed so that I would obey God. And the people were saying, no, 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 that's not it. But you know, Moses had his own moment back at the burning bush when he was afraid there. And if you remember the conversation they had in Exodus chapter 2, he told God, why would anyone believe me? I mean, he was thinking, I'm a criminal. Nobody's going to believe me. And I've been away for so long, they won't even remember me. I'm just putting words in Moses' mouth, but he was basically saying, I'm inadequate for this. And he came right to the point of saying, find somebody else. I could... I, I, I can't even talk right. Well, yeah, stumbling over his words, he was. And God didn't, uh, didn't allow him to get off the hook right there. But we, we are afraid of inadequacy. I'm not enough. I can't do it. And then the people themselves, and the basic statement there, I'm sure we all have. In fact, we have it right now, today, in our crisis. This isn't safe. Fear is naturally built into us to keep us safe. And the people looking at this mountain and hearing God's voice were saying, this is not safe. Now let me just go over those same scenarios, but look at them from God's point of view through the voice of love. God looked at, at, at Adam And he said to him, Adam, who told you you were naked? Did you find that out somewhere? God knew, of course. But God's word to him was, I'll cover you. And one of the best verses in the Bible that starts the gospel is what what Adam heard being said to Satan. Through this lineage, there will come a man who will crush your head, Satan. This is God's plan. So Adam was feeling vulnerable. He was ashamed. And yet he was hearing God. Vouch for him. I'll be your advocate, Adam. I'll cover you. I got you covered. I'll take care of this. Fast forward to Abraham. Abraham is told, you'll have a son. And the irony of it all, he named his son Isaac, which means Laughter. God has a sense of humor, of course, there. That's one example. And God's way of saying to Abraham, I know in the natural this isn't going to work. It doesn't make sense to you, but I'm not the God of the natural only. I am the supernatural God. So if you're going to live and walk with me, expect the supernatural. I'm really glad we, we have uh, the Alliance the Missionary Alliance. A.B. Simpson it was a man who taught that the supernatural was for today. One of, the, one of his songs, uh, Yesterday, Today, Forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. And he was one that, in a time when some of the church was saying, uh, we don't have the expectation of healing today. So A.B. Simpson... Take your healing message and just kind of tone it down because we don't think God does that today. And we don't think the other things that you're encouraging in your church about sanctification and holiness and and this idea that the Holy Spirit will come and uh, the crisis of baptism in the Holy Spirit. This was A.B. Simpson going against the grain of the church which said, no, that was then. That used to be, but now that doesn't happen anymore. That's kind of what happened at Mount Sinai. The people said, I know we heard God. He spoke to us once, but I think it's over. Let's not have that happen anymore. I think that's human nature. It's not God's nature. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as, as it was with those people, I think it is with us. We need to overcome some of these fears. God said to Abraham when, or, or to Moses. As I said, move on to Moses. Um, when Moses said, "I'm not adequate. I stumble over my words. I can't. I can't. I can't." And then God's response was, "I am. Has sent you." I think we need to hear that from God sometimes. Maybe a little bit louder and <laughs> a little bit more forceful when we're talking about what I can't do and how it'll look bad for me and I am weak and I'm not able, God would say, but I am. And I am with you. Which is the promise that he gave to the people of Israel. You are my people and I will be with you. The words of love do not deny any of the facts that motivated fear. When Adam said, I'm naked, God said, yeah, you sure are. (laughs) And I love you, but yeah, you are. Fear motivated Adam to run and hide. God said, no, I'll cover you. We have a plan. But the fact was, Adam was naked. The fact was, Abraham was too old to have children, naturally. But God said he would. The fact was, the mountain was shaking, there was, a, there was fire coming and smoke billowing, and everybody was terrified. That's the fact. But one person, Moses, said, this is a good thing because God loves us and he wants to do something here. It's interesting to me that when Moses went through all of that experience with his leadership of the people of Israel. In Deuteronomy, as he reviews all of that had happened, this was 40 years later, right? Because they'd waited for 40 years to go into the promised land. Moses comes to a conclusion that I think is just fantastic. After all the law, books and books and books that Moses wrote. Did you read Leviticus lately? Nice Saturday afternoon. Read Leviticus. All of that stuff. And it's tedious to get through. It really is. And yet Moses wrote it all down. He taught it to the people. 40 years of this going on. And he comes to this conclusion in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The big statement. Here it is. Israel, hear this. The Lord our God is one. Love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart. Now, of all the commandments, Jesus said that's number one. That's the greatest one right there. Because if you do that, it fulfills all of the others. Is it enough of a motivator? Or is fear a better one? I've, I've been in ministry. I, I taught school for a long time. And, and I had my days when I thought fear was a pretty good motivator for those high school kids that just didn't want to do what they're supposed to do. I'm a big, strong guy, and I'll make you do it. That's a fear motivator. But I always found that uh, a relationship was better. Love was better. Especially, you find that in your own families. We know that if our relationship with our wife, our husband, our kids is one of love, obedience can follow and if we're forced to dominate and have a fear-based kind of relationship uh, we all have a a kind of sense that that's really not the best thing to do It's, it's not the best the whole world sings about it it's not just a Christian thing it's not just a religious thing the whole world sings about love how good it is it hurts You just turn on your radio, pretty much any station you want, any genre of music. And we're still talking about how important love is. Now, when God is trying to get this across to us, every conversation that God has seems to start out with a common theme. You know what that is? If God sends an angel, what does the angel have to say first before he can say anything else? Fear not. Because that's our normal, that's our natural first response to an amazing thing that God is going to do. Well, God is amazing. We don't want Him to be any less than He is. I don't want God to be less than He is just so that I feel more comfortable. Maybe some people think that. Let's put a veil on. And so God isn't quite so intense. And then we'll be able to maybe deal with that a little bit better. Well, I know for most of us that theory is one thing, but the real experience is where it matters. So what about some of the testimonies of people who had believed that this really could happen and they didn't let fear stop them? Again, I'll I'll just refer to Moses. Moses was that man who said, I'm not going to let fear stop me. I'm going to go up that mountain and I'm going to see what God has to say. And he went so far as to tell God, please, show me your glory. And then what an incredible story. And God says, well, no one can see my face and live. So I'll tuck you in behind and I'll walk by and you'll hear me and you'll see me from the back. I have a theory. I don't know if it's true, but I like to think it is. That when God took Moses home, it says he took him up the mountain and God himself put Moses' body somewhere. I kind of have this hope that maybe it happened. I'm going to ask Moses, did this happen to you? That when God was ready to take Moses home, he said to Moses, okay, open your eyes, here it comes. And God would do that thing that he said man cannot do and live. And Moses saw God's face and... Whew, I, I just have a theory. Maybe that was the case. We get to come a little bit closer than Moses did. Based on the scripture, it says in 2 Corinthians 3 that we are not like Moses who had a veil over his face. We, with unveiled faces reflect the glory of Jesus. How does that happen to us? I'd like to know that more often, I'm just going to say. I think it has to do a lot with our time together in worship, our time together in a, in a body, in a community that we gather together. Jesus promised he would be here with us when we gather together, two or three even, two or three like today's world is. We can expect Jesus' presence. Another testimony is, is Jeremiah. Jeremiah lived in a time when Jerusalem was completely destroyed, wiped out. And he wrote the book of Lamentations. You see, you see Jeremiah, he would just be sitting there on a rubble of the rocks of Jerusalem and just crying. I mean, that's what the book is, Lamentations. And there's this beautiful place in Lamentations 3 where Jeremiah says, Yet this will I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not completely consumed. His mercies are new every morning, and great is His faithfulness. Jeremiah found love motivating his action, and he had hope from that. One of the favorite places I have when I'm feeling down and a little tense between these two things, the world and, and God and how fear and love are just pulling me, I, I read Psalm 73 and it's a psalm of a worship leader, a worship leader named Asaph. He wrote a song and he describes the tension between watching the world and how everything seems to be just going on just fine. Everybody's rich, everybody's healthy, nothing goes wrong. And he asked the question, why do I strive so hard to serve God? And then, as a worship leader, he says, And so I went into the presence of God, and there I realized what a. Come into God's presence. And he says a couple of things that I've memorized and just I hold them as kind of these little gems that keep me on track when I'm in trouble getting pulled off of balance. He says, You are always with me. I mean, that in itself is a love motivator right there, isn't it? We're and God is saying this, I'm always with you, and I your hand through this. And this, the song goes on to say, so who have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on this earth that I want besides you. My heart and my flesh fail. That's a fact. But God is the strength of my heart. The tension of the motivators in our life. My heart and flesh fail. Fear has me saying, Oh, I should be safe. I shouldn't. I should stop this. I should not go on with God because it's not safe. It costs too much. And yet there's something else that's in me that says, but I can't not say, it. I, can, I cannot go. I have to follow. There's just something better about love. The fact that we're afraid to die. It's pretty evident in this fear factor, fear motivator. And God never denies that. He never once ever says that that's not going to happen. He simply says, don't be afraid. I have overcome. And so when you question whether to be motivated by fear, which is natural, or love, which is supernatural, and it isn't very safe at all, Because you will die. In fact, you're invited to die. Just a few weeks ago, didn't we celebrate something? Resurrection life? And it sounds kind of maybe morbid, but you can't have that unless you die. Resurrection life happens after we die. And this is the invitation that the gospel brings to us. Come and die. Because you will live. And what Jesus said, when you live, you will live abundantly. So Psalm 73 ends with this statement. As for me, it is good that I am... As scary as it might be, uh, it's good for me. I'm going to be near God. I have about His works. Now, one of the things I have uh, today appreciated about this whole setting of video, and and you being able to watch it from the comfort of your easy chair, your couch, or wherever you are, that you could start and stop this anytime you want, and so it isn't like I'm keeping you from Sunday dinner. Uh, And so I'm going to tell one more story, and knowing that this is getting long. But as it is, there's there's a need for testimony for any of us to really feel like this life of following God is worth it. Some of the scriptures that the Bible gives us are, are inspiring, but they're terrifying. How about the one that says, God is working in all things the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. And that's all fantastic until God asks us to do something hard. Right. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And it's important that that we hear that because fear is so common to us. John says, Fear has to do with punishment. But perfect love will cast out that fear. So it's a war. It's, it's, it's a fight to do this. So I want to tell you a story, a testimony of a young lady that I knew in Montana. And I have permission to tell her story so I can even use her name because she is innocent. How about that? She was the neighbor to our church. When I first got there, I was told uh, the neighbors across the street are kind of uh, difficult. Uh, They complain about what we do, you know, we water our lawn or the lights that we have on or numerous things. Anyway, I was told that the neighbors across the street, uh, you need to be aware that they're not very nice people. That's what I was told. And so uh, I prayed, Lord, there must be a way for me to have a relationship with my neighbor across the street. So Melinda and Dwayne live across the street and uh, I need to find a way that the Lord is going to open a door for this. So I'm praying, Lord, find a way. Um, I did not expect for the things to happen the way they did, but after about three years, I think, of living there and, and I didn't have much interaction with uh, Melinda and her husband at all. Um, I didn't find them to be that unpleasant. uh, Not that I was told that they were so unpleasant. Um, And yet there wasn't anything to really bridge into having something more. And here's where God worked. Melinda decided that she was going to stop living with the barriers in her life that existed. One of those was her education. She was 50-some years old and had never gotten her high school diploma. And she was intentional now. She was going to get her high school diploma because she wanted to do some things, and not having an education was standing in the way of that. And so, good for her. She went down to our library, and she started to study. And she passed the English test. She passed the science test. She passed all the tests and there was one more test that she had to pass and that was the math test she failed it so she studied some more got a a tutor to help her got the help she thought she needed and she took it again and she failed it again she asked the librarian the one that ran the, the tutoring course she said what can i do Is there anybody that can help well, the librarian at the school happens to go to my church. And so I shared numerous times that I've been a math teacher. And so the librarian says, well, I know a guy that taught math. Maybe he can help you. And uh, so Melinda said, well, who's that? I said, well, it's the pastor, the guy right across the street from you. Oh, him. And it isn't like she, you know, she had anything against that, except... As I found out, she hated pastors, and for good reason. Her father was a pastor, an abusive one, a hypocrite. As it turned out, he had one message at church, and a very legalistic, judgmental, critical message. She wanted nothing to do with pastors, and she didn't want to. Bridge that gap with any pastor. And here she had a challenge. Was she going to listen to the librarian and go and ask a pastor to have help with math? Well, by the grace of God, she did. And she came, and it was hard for her. I know it was. She came and asked if if I would help her, and I agreed to help her. And I thanked God for that, because I said, who would have thought? for this bridge to happen. Now, we have something that we can work on a relationship. It was hard. She took the test the third time, and she failed it. Why is this so hard, became a question. And so, as we worked through some of the difficult things, she came to equations, you know, where you have to solve for X, what's X equal to, and there was multiple steps involved and you have to decide what step to do first and second and all that and finally x equals something. And it was just not working in her head. This just doesn't make sense. And why would we even worry about what an x is? It's just a letter and all the things that are going on in this. You probably had that in your math class at some point. But it was a barrier and she could not get over it. And she was one day, I, I remember a breakthrough happening. Where she was so frustrated and just angry. Why can't I do this? Why is this so hard? And and I wasn't sure if she was just saying that out of frustration or if you really do want an answer to that. Why is this so hard? She said, Yeah, I want an answer. Why is this so hard? I'd come to know her enough in our together that I felt like this was this was a time when I could say this and I and I didn't know if she'd ever come back again once I said this This is what I told her I said this is like your life okay x is the unknown you are struggling with who you are you don't know who you are this is part of the process of finding out who you are is passing these tests and when you solve an equation you're being asked to make decisions in your life from what I understand, no one has ever trusted you with making your own decisions. You were told what to do. And if you didn't do it, you were punished. Isn't that how it was? Oh, yeah, she says that's how it was. You follow the rules, that's how it is. You don't get to make decisions for yourself. You don't think for yourself. In fact, you were, you were unable, you were too stupid to think for yourself. And therefore, here you are. Well, I wasn't making any points on that account. <laughs> Um, she was listening though I said so like an equation if we're going to find out who you are we're going to have to undo all the things that have been done to you so that we find out who you are like an equation if there's multiplication you have to divide to undo it if there's subtraction you have to add to undo it and until you undo all the operations that are done to x x can never be free to be its value and so with you You will never know your true value until we undo all your subtractions and we undo all your divisions and we undo all the things that have been done to you. And by this time, she was in tears and I was almost there because this was exactly what she was struggling with. The fear of being known. Well, she went through the fear factors. She raised her finger like this and she said, oh, no, 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 stop right there. If I have to stand alone like that and find out my value, I will be naked and that cannot happen. She'd spent her whole life trying to avoid that because that's too scary. That's too vulnerable to just stand out there and be yourself. And then the next thing she said, besides, that's not the way I've learned things. That's not natural. I said, exactly. You want to have supernatural, right? You want God to be working. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Scripture says, doesn't it, the eye has not seen, the ear is not heard. It has not entered into the thoughts of man. The things that God has prepared for those who love him. Melinda was finding this to be the truth. And so she was trembling. She was crying. Her emotions were there, shaking her. And as Moses might have said, this is good because it's making me draw near. It's making me press in. It makes me want to do this better. But she didn't love it yet. It wasn't love motivating. It was still fear. And she said, this isn't safe. And that was the end of the lesson. She said, I got to leave. This is not safe. I got to go be by myself. She went through all the fear factors. And I thought to myself, that could be the end. This could be it. She'll say, that costs too much. I don't want to do that anymore. By the grace of God, she came back. And God met her in an incredibly powerful way. She did pass the test, number five. She did pass the test. She did well. We celebrated. And her question was probably what every graduating senior in high school fields, when they graduate from high school and step out of the door and say, oh, now i got to face the world? Yeah. What am I going to do now? It was about that time when a young man came home from Bible college and he said, Pastor, can I lead a night of worship at church? Just invite whoever wants to come and let them come and we'll just have a time of worship. And I said, yes, yes, let's do that. Melinda knew this boy, loved him. Everybody does. It's hard not to. He's a neat kid. And so the night came, and she was going to go to her hiding place. She was going to go to her private place. She was on her way. She was opening the door to her trailer house where she went to be alone. And the father said to her, you need to be over there. You need to go over there. It already started. We were already on our way. Singing and worship had started. And she heard the Father say, you need to be over there. There she was between, I heard God say, am I going to be afraid and run away? Or am I going to listen to His love and obey Him? And she let love motivate her. And she went over there and I watched her come in. I was up there with with this young man leading worship and I watched her come in I said oh my this is interesting okay I don't know what's gonna happen and she came up to the front row which I found out later the reason she did was because the back row is too vulnerable I mean people are there I got to be away from people she went right up to the front and she stayed and the Lord touched her and and the Holy Spirit came and I think I, I can best explain it from Romans chapter 5 where it says, we have hope for the glory of God. That's what the gospel Hope of the glory of God. But we also rejoice in our trials because trials teach us patience. And character brings us to hope as well. And this hope does not disappoint us. Because the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Melinda experienced that in that night of worship. Holy Spirit came, filled her with love. She's the kind of person I already described as who who would run when she was afraid. And so, as worship came to a time where we were praying and, and people were just wanting to demonstrate love and so some of them came up and not a lot but just one at a time would come up and put their hand on Melinda's shoulder or just rest their hand on her knee and they'd pray for her and and I saw I saw one of the one of the men coming to pray for her and I thought oh not you not you you are the you are the guy of any person here you are the one that she will associate with her father and she will run he came up and and just in the most loving, gentle way, he prayed with her. She did not run. And she received what, what he had for her and love from the Lord. Afterwards, she said to me, I always thought people were just a little bit off when they said the Holy Spirit came. Or, or you know, I felt God's love fill me and the Holy Spirit did his work in my heart. I, she said, I always thought they were just making that up or they were emotional or something but now I know. Now I know because it happened to me. Love motivates to go beyond whatever we might be afraid of. Jesus was right when he said, if you love me, you'll obey. Now as we go in, you know, transitioning from whatever's going to be our new normal, For the church here, Hillsborough's having to make decisions about getting a pastor. What we're going to do next, how we're going to structure things. This is my message, and, and simple as it sounds, what motivates you? Fear can motivate. It's a very powerful motivator. Traditions can motivate us. Just habits can motivate us. But my encouragement is that we seek the love of God as our motivator. How do we do that? I don't think it's news to you. You do that by doing what Jesus said. Gather together. Where two or three are gathered, I promise to be with you. Love one another. Because that's how the world will know that you're my disciple. Let love be our motivator. It's not simply just an emotional thing that you feel sometimes. It's a commitment to action that comes from a relationship that we have with our Lord Jesus Christ. I trust that this message has been helpful to you. If it's long, stop, pause, come back, watch it again. But thank you so much. And just let me say a prayer blessing as I close. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have chosen to speak to us in these days and that the words that you speak are motivated by love and they are intended to fill us with love so that our actions as well will be motivated from love. I pray for this church. I pray for the members here. I pray for all those who will find a relationship with you through the ministry of this church as you have called this church to be a witness of your love so I pray Lord that you would pour out your spirit here that love would flow like a river and that it would go deeper and deeper into the hearts and lift us lift us Lord to the purpose that you have for us. Let your love come here and be established permanently in the presence of the Lord Jesus here in this place. In his name I pray. Amen.
0: I stand amazed in the presence Of Jesus the Nazarene And wonder how He could love me A sinner condemned me Singing how marvelous Wonderful is my Savior's love for me. He took my sins and will be my joy